This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. The title of this book of poetry, I Finally Listened, a book of poetry. And the poet is Therese Wilson. And Therese joins us now on Author Talk. <clears throat> Hold on, let me do that again. <laughs> My voice cracked there. And Therese joins. Hold on. And Therese joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Therese. Hi. Well, great to have you with us, and we're looking forward to you sharing with us some of your poems. And this book is uh, kind of a what would you call it? I mean, it covers a lot of different subjects, and and how do you sum up your book? <laughs> I, I think you just did. Um, I, in the foreword, I, I tell how when I was a, a young woman, I stopped writing poetry. Different things happened in my life. I was uh, date raped and that kind of thing. But uh, And I just got busy with life. But I would lay down at night, and the first line or two of a poem would come to me, and, and I would say, oh, I'm going to remember this in the morning, and I never did. On Chinese New Year's Eve, I was living in Taiwan, and the same thing was happening. Only this time, that voice that's us but isn't us said, no, no, you're not going to remember it in the morning. Get up and start writing. And so I did. And the poetry poured out of me. Uh, memories from the past, feelings from the past, feelings of, uh, caused by my spiritual uh, growth and, and things I was delving into at the time. And it just came to me. And of course... Life's events, like my father's death, brought about the on-death section and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, it was just time for it to come out. And the book itself was uh, initially never intended to be published for anyone but me, my family, uh, and I wanted my great-great-grandkids to have some knowledge of of me and and, and some spiritual basis that I could pass along. And then I had people telling me uh, I had to really, really publish it. And so I did, and that was the, I finally listened. I finally listened to the voice telling me to to write. I finally listened to the people telling me I had to really publish it. Your questions, your fears, your joy, your highs, your lows, uh, that's what this is. It's, uh, as you put it... it it, it's just a whole understanding of your life and your relationship with God expressed through your writing. Yeah, pretty much. Because there are definitely times when I, I will sit and write and get back to it, oh, let's say a month or so later. And when I write it, I usually walk away from it for a period of time. And I'll go back and go, whoa, <laughs> where the heck did that come from? That's pretty good. And a number of sections, one, in fact, I'll read them. The Ancient Speak on Being Human to Humanity, For Me But Not Entirely, Love, Revealing and Healing My Child About Death, God, Goddess, and then Little Treat Poems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so it covers obviously a, a, a 
quite a breadth and depth of your life. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, it, it was <laughs> if I was a, uh, a, a, a uh, what's the word uh, a published author from the time I was young and recognized my talent and and put it out there from the time I was young. No, I, I see these other people with their little cute poetry books. Uh, I, I just kind of slammed it all in there. But the majority of, of, of those poems came uh, probably in the first year, year and a half after I actually uh, started writing, although it took me about five years to gather them all together, and, of course, I continued to write during that whole time. Well, let's take a moment here and have you read one of your favorites and then make a comment about how that poem came about. Hmm. Well, I I do have one that's one of my favorites. Um, I was watching... Uh, Oprah has given me people that have inspired me uh, on occasion, and I was watching Oprah one day, and she had someone who someone, uh, uh, wrote a book called Half the Sky, and it's about uh, women uh, the half of the world that that, that isn't uh, being recognized, and of course, being a woman and a woman of my particular age who's gone through the '60s and still sees the progress not only our country has to make but around the world, uh, it, it touched me deeply. So I wrote a poem called "Half," uh, if I may. Uh, women hold up half the sky. Truth, such truth, though perceived as weak, beaten down raped and reviled on this earth, still, still they hold up their half of the sky. For the sky with nothing between touches the dirt. A woman's lifeless body silently separates firmament from terra firma. A woman's beaten body majestically lifts the sky off the ground as she rises, bringing with her an offering from Mother Earth a still gentle message of remembering, calling all to see what should and in time shall no longer be. Well, very well said, and it always amazes me with this form of writing how it just kind of focuses you. You know, it focuses the reader, the listener, and you feel things. You feel things. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I read it, I do. And, and of course, uh, coming from a woman's point of view, my poetry obviously demonstrates that. But I've had men read it too and and get the same message, and or begin to understand a little what the woman's message is that's more universal than they initially think. Right. Well, give us another one. Heaven, let's give you another you, one. Yes, hmm. read another one. One of your favorites that really one of my uh, favorites that had a profound okay. impact on you too, as after you wrote it. <laughs> oh, had an impact on me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one. Uh, uh, okay, now this is one that's a little long. May I? Sure. Okay, uh, another one. Uh, Oprah inspired was Ellie Wiesel was on on Oprah. And uh, I heard him speak of the things he'd witnessed, and when he was asked the lesson he thought humanity could or should learn from the events of the Holocaust, uh, he, he said he didn't know what lessons, since we had all known even before those times that we shouldn't harm one another. And, and he said that, he kept saying, and yet, 
and yet these things continue. And so I wrote the poem, And Yet. The pain of those like me seems so small in comparison to those who have visible, palpable burdens to bear. How can I possibly complain? And yet, how can I not? The pain of Holocaust so great seems to erase my right to pain, and yet I still feel it. And yet, if we of perceived lesser burden bury and deny our right to feel our little pain, do we not bury that same part that feels your great pain? Is not this world that denies feeling in small yet important portions also denying itself of its right to witness that very same great pain? Did that denial of the right to experience small, personal pain allow the cancer of the great pains to arise? Perhaps the lessons of those monstrous pains is to listen to ourselves first, listen and allow our own pain. Perhaps if we recognize our own small health, we can then see them in others and witness and nurture the small needs before they fester, turning our world to poison. So, and yet, my small pain, your small pain, is great enough pain if it causes to be created a balm of love, of witness to God in all, not separated by not understanding how great pain exists. And now, we must learn there is no pain which must exist. We must become determined as one being, human, to remember the way we ignored the small, judging it insignificant, creating the horrible, magnificent, and never allow any further hurt, confused, and plaintive, and yet. Yes, and yet, pain, what of obviously a very a sharp-edged word that we all relate to. I want to read a yeah. review of one of your followers. She said, A poetic and colorful journey into the depths of the human soul. Therese Wilson manages in a refreshing, straightforward language to capture both the grandeur and simplicity of life and love. Let yourself be touched and moved. And that poem is one of those ones I read later and went, oh, wow. Because it, it, it's, and, and that's kind of why one of the sections and all the poems actually are, are for others and yet for me, I, I have to learn all these things over and over again to remember them and, and remember my divinity as well. The title of this book of poetry, I Finally Listened, a book of poetry. And we've been talking to the poet, Therese Wilson. Therese, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, pretty simple. Author House, obviously. <laughs> and uh, Amazon and uh, what's those other ones? All the other ones. <laughs> it's available everywhere. Barnes and, and Noble and, and, and all the other ones. Barnes yeah. and Noble. That's the B one I was trying to think of. <laughs> and <laughs> and I do have a little website called poetrybyt.com. PoetryByT.com. Well, thank you, Therese, for being with us and joining us on Author Talk. Thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. 
Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Taking America's Pulse, New Age Spirituality and Social Issues in America. And joining me from North Carolina is author Edward J. Milliam. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. And, Glad to be here. And for the uh, sake of our listeners, I'll just refer to you as EJ, if that's okay. That's fine. Excellent. Well, good to visit with you. You uh, have uh, published this. This is your first publication, at least in writing, but uh, I think you've been taking notes and planning on sharing some information for quite some time. How long did this book take to get completed? Um, within a, less than a year, because you know, all, the, all the notes that I had, you know, all I had to do is just uh, is send them into book form. Do you do you keep uh, what what would be called a journal by many people, where or, or a diary that uh, you know notes things that are, are of interest to you? Not necessarily a diary, but on flash drives and uh, notes on paper. This is an interesting journey that you have taken in this book. It's 147 pages, but well-researched. I will mention that to my listeners as well. What is the the thing that kind of triggered this? What was the motivation for getting a book titled Taking America's Pulse? What what was the motivation behind that? There is so much going on right now, you know, in America and all over the world. So it, it, it's a lot out there to write about. So... Since I had so much much already written, all I had to do was just, you know, relate it to what's going on. And how have you been using this in your personal life? Uh, as far as the material in here, it is it is dealing with a spiritual subject, and you do mention New Age spirituality and other social issues. Why was that something that was important to you? Well, I could look at look at where I am and uh, relate it to what. A spiritual verse might say to how I'm doing and how you know other people are doing around me. So, you you know to make a sentence or a paragraph using that you know analogy, it was pretty easy. Like I said, because there's so much going on. Yes, and and you have a, an educate you're an educated gentleman. You have a, a bachelor of science and a, a master of business. I guess it is. What uh, what field do you focus on? Is it religion, or do you have a, another career that that uh, parallels your writing and other interests? Well, the, the uh, bachelor is in management, and the master's is in Bible studies. Great, great. And, 
And uh, I've uh, worked in the science field for, you know, about 18 years. So off and on, I was taking different classes. So, I, you know, that gave me a lot of no- notes to take. Yes, I would think they did. On different subjects, you know. <laughs> yes. Uh, remembering the notes is the thing I had problems with when I was in school. I was more of a creative thinker and a uh, visionary from that perspective, but as far as detail, not too good at it. Uh, your book deals with some detail and asks some prevalent questions that many people who are churchgoers and some who are not churchgoers might find interesting. One is, what was God thinking? Now, that's that's a provocative idea. It may be challenging the idea of what is the purpose of life. Right. Yeah, I, I went on to, uh, I think I explained, I'm not sure how I explained it right now because I don't have that right in front of me, but I think I explained it like he knew that man was going to go to take this route because, uh, uh, you know, humanity is not perfect. And he knew that. So I was. that's why I asked the question, what was he thinking? Do you answer the question that a lot of people, uh, I guess, will ask, and those who are atheists, those who are agnostics will say, well, if God is a good God and a perfect God, why did he create an imperfect world? And that's something that people wrestle with. Did you wrestle with that question also in your book? No. Not really, because he didn't. He didn't, uh, uh, you know, invent a, a per- imperfect world. He, he, the world was perfect when he made it. Man took that route, but he could have stepped in and stopped it, but he didn't. He let him go go on that route because he gave man a way out by think, thinking or following what he told him to do. So he didn't. In, he didn't make a, a imperfect world. He made a perfect world. In the beginning. Yes. You have uh, also dealt with the basic, I guess, conversation about maybe churches and denominations and, and, and matters of faith. Is this a book that is primarily designed to challenge the thinking of a church-going believer, perhaps? No, not necessarily one individual. It, it, it's for anybody, you know, not necessarily uh, church, church people. Because you know, like I said, like I said, I'm not a minister or anything like that, so I can't say that I'm preaching to any any one person. Uh, churches also will deal socially with morality and poverty and uh, people who are homeless. What do you see the reader's responsibility is to morality in America, and what have you observed? Responsibility to you know make their surroundings livable for everybody. So one person or set of people wouldn't fear of being you know in America or anywhere else really. So what I was hoping you know people would take away from the book is try to uh, make America and the world a better place to live, so people wouldn't fear being you know around each other, you know. You know, I know everybody can't be Christian or anything, you know, and everybody can't be, uh, uh, you know, police of the world, but if they could take just a little bit away from the book to, uh, you know, make it better for the people around them, 
that would be great. It's an important uh, important message that many are dealing and grappling with in our our society. You have also in your book you've used scriptural references and and dialogue and conversational style to to share your viewpoint. Is there chapters of this book, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I didn't know whether you purposely intended it that way. Is it something that you have uh, maybe seen others use as a teaching format for for maybe a, a study of some type? It, 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 it could be. Uh, I'm not sure if they could use it in the format that I have. Maybe it could be revised for that, and that would be great. Uh, they could point out certain areas in the book where it could be uh, changed or changed to their, you know, to suit them so they could put it into a teaching format, you know, that would be great. What would you say is the the description of your book? How would you feel the reader is going to come out from reading the last page? Is he going to be depressed? Is he going to be motivated? Uh, What was your inspiration for that? Uh, I I, I don't know. I've was hoping that uh, it would make people think and try to change the attitude of the way things are going right now. Because if we don't have uh, leaders to step in and sort of quieten down this uh, uh, morale that's going on right now, let's take take over morale, like taking over the world and taking over the countries, hmm. uh, evil taking over. We need some really Christian leaders to step in and sort of take control again. And set a moral tone is what you are, I think, adv- advocating. Right. Yeah. In writing your book, you say it took approximately a year of just assembling your notes and your thoughts over a period of time. What was the other challenging part of getting this to print? Um, I didn't really have any since I've been doing it for so long, you know, writing for writing for so long, for like college and uh, going to seminaries and things like this on, on, on my job, you know, requirements from my job. Right. Over 18 years and like that, so, you know. So the and cha- most of it was done uh, while I was working. So when I was retired, all I had to do was just you know put it together. Well, congratulations on completing this. Uh, this uh, would be could could be described somewhere between a conversational book and an instructional booklet. From what I'm reading, it does have a variety of topics that uh, cover everything related to. Uh, the United States of America and uh, people in general, uh, the social issues and especially the spiritual issues. Those are obviously oh, yeah. those are obviously the the most important to you. Uh, in your book, you talk about science, religion, and other principles of life that I think are important. Where do they get copies, uh, E.J. of the book, Taking America's Pulse? Uh, most, most major booksellers, especially ones online like Barnes and Noble, uh, uh, I can't name all, a lot of them, but uh, 
major booksellers. You know, they can and, also uh, get it through Author House, I believe, if they do a request online there. And uh, if you go to your local bookseller, they they also can say, uh, "Hey, local bookseller, I'd like to get a copy or be able to to view Taking America's Pulse," and uh, they can find it there, I believe, as well. EJ, is there one chapter that you think maybe should be the most outstanding to the reader? Where have all of Mer- America's uh, uh, Christian heterosexual Sexual Christian men gone. That they're you know they're letting uh, uh, non-Christian people run and lead and influence the people in this country. So where have they gone? They need to come back and take over again. So you feel it's important that people of morality or have a moral compass uh, be counted for what they believe in. Oh yeah, uh, because. Uh, uh, morally just people are not out there uh, in the forefront of what's going on. Television and the media, internet, please think uh, media like this is influencing too much of the young people. And the young people, when they grow up, every generation that's growing up right now is less uh, uh, Christian and they're taking over and influencing more kids that's growing up without uh, the spiritual nurturing. Well, it's an important topic, and uh, thank you for sharing that in the book. Again, the title of the book is Taking America's Pulse. The author's name, Edward J. Milliam, M-I-L-I-A-M, who has joined me from North Carolina today. Sir, I appreciate your your completing this and sharing it with my audience. Uh, Is there another book in the future? It, it is, but it's going to depend on what this one does. That's always a good foundation to uh, to get feedback and find out what the what the buying public is interested in. I think this is a topic that's hot right now, so perhaps this will be a runaway for you. Best of luck. Thank you for sharing your story today. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. For Author House and Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? more joy and less judgment you're not alone come to the living room a place where we get comfy candid and confident together come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed we're saving a seat for you give yourself some living room today welcome back to author talk brought to you by author house Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Undermining the U.S. Constitution, How the Communist Manifesto Blueprints the Action of the Democratic Party and even President Obama today. Complicated title and a certainly interesting subject matter that we'll be delving into. And my author joins me from near Atlanta, Georgia, Diane S. Fan. Thank you, Diane, for joining me today. 
Very welcome. Well, this this is, again, a, a very complex area of discussion. You deal with Marxism, communism, socialism, all of those uh, those three general areas. Are those three areas uh, the same? When you, when you say Marxism and socialism, are those identical or are they different? Uh, Karl Marx lived in the 1800s, and uh, he uh, was a socialist, and he was asked to leave a couple of countries because of his socialist writings, and he connected with some in England who hired him to uh, write the Communist Manifesto for them. So I now actually am using the terminology of extremist socialist uh, as far as meaning the same as a communist or a Nazi, actually. But uh, the two... Uh, are the extremist end of socialism. Among the photos in your book are your reminiscence of Berlin during the Cold War. Uh, how did those photos get taken? That was part of the motivation to, to write this book, I think, in the early stages. What is there about Germany and your visits there that motivated you? Well, back in 1970, uh, I joined the military, the United States Army Reserve Nurse Corps. I was first uh, in the Army Student Nurse Program at University of Nebraska. They paid for my last years of college. It was the Vietnam War. And when I joined, I thought I would be going to Vietnam. It turned out when I got out of uh, college and uh, had my RN, registered nurse, they uh, sent me to basic training in August of 19. 74 and told us we were the first group no one was going to go to Vietnam and gave us uh, options of where we could go to to uh, uh, be stationed. I went to Fort Ord in California for about a year and then I went to Germany and was stationed at Second General Hospital in Lonsdorf, Germany. And when we, I went through orientation in Germany, they asked us to please make a trip over to East Germany because the East Germans were being told by the communists uh, that we were leaving and to make sure we wore our uniforms so we wouldn't be shot as a spy, but please go over there. So before I left uh, Germany in 1977, that's when I got out, after doing my three years of obligated duty, I did travel by a plane in the first place into Berlin, which was beyond the Iron Curtain and inside of uh, East Germany. And I landed and uh, visited West Berlin, which was controlled by the West and the United States. And and then I went through Checkpoint Charlie in the middle of Berlin and actually took a tour bus uh, through East Berlin, which was under communist control, and then uh, did a walking tour after that. And I used my camera, which was just a little 110 ca- a Kodak camera, nothing special, and took a few pictures, some of which I've put in the book. But at that time, the Berlin Wall still was up. It hadn't come down yet. Uh, Reagan hadn't made the speech about tear down your wall. And so I was able to actually climb it and look, climb the overlook of it and look down and take pictures. And, of course, those really impressed me. I realized that this wall was there to prevent people from leaving the east side for the west side. They'd been coming over in large numbers before it was put up, and uh, that uh, it was to restrain people from leaving. And then taking a bus tour into uh, East Berlin, I 
could see the contrast with West Berlin, such a, such a difference, and uh, my walking tour. Of course, I was in uniform and as as I was told to be. What was but, this, uh, what, what that, was the most shocking thing that that impressed you when you when you arrived in Berlin? Well, the West Side was upbeat, and there was a lot going on, and a lot of traffic. People smiled and were happy and moving around freely, and they even had a communist demonstration that was uh, I got literature for when I was out and about, and I actually went to see. Uh, they were protesting a, a rise in the U-Ban uh, fee, I believe. And But when I went over to the east side, it was like the complete opposite. Nobody out on the streets. If they were, they were frowning. Even though I gave a nice smile, they wouldn't wouldn't return my smile. And I actually uh, had to listen to quite a bit of propaganda from the tour guide on the tour bus. And mm. I had never in my life thought, you know, she's been brainwashed, and and that was what I was hearing. But that came to mind that she's been brainwashed, and never before since have I have I really had that feeling about anybody. But we sat down at a small cafe and uh, had something to eat, and she came up and sat beside me and the stranger I was with, and went over the fact that she hated living there. Her father was a, I mean, her husband was a doctor. And uh, he could leave, but they couldn't. It was customary the family had to stay. If anybody left uh, a communist area, there had to be families that they wanted to return to. And her children were unhappy living there. They uh, didn't like learning Russian. They preferred to learn English as their second language to German. And anyway, I was when she walked away, I thought, oh, wow, you know, she's not brainwashed. Not yeah, at all. Right. And the gentleman, gentleman with me, he said, that's the stupidest woman you'll ever meet in your life. Mm. And I said, why? And he said, because we could, either of us could have been a plant. Well, that's true. And yeah, he had been a spy in, in World War II in, in Berlin, and he actually had worked for the Allies. And so uh, he knew what he was talking about, I figured. Wow. Anyway. Well, it's incredible, that, that story itself, but you uh, are raising the flag of concern by the title, Undermining the U.S. Constitution. You have, have some personal concerns that you've outlined in this book. It's uh, just over 100 pages, so you've done research and uh, also raised some questions about what's transpiring in politics and uh, the future. What is your concern, particularly? Well, I have... Uh always uh, worked as a nurse, and nursing is my field. Now, I did become an educator. It turns out that my father and my mother, their brothers and sisters, were educators. And so that's what runs in the family. I uh, was the first nurse, and I did start teaching nursing, pediatric nursing. And that's been my area of concern, and I had no real desire to follow politics although I knew that I was a conservative, and, of course, I am a Christian. So uh, I felt like when I was listening to uh, Obama as he ran for office in the first place, I felt very concerned. I felt uh, that there was a... I was getting a feeling of what I saw in East Germany, and uh, I met a few communists outside of East Germany, uh, during my tour of duty there, and of course I had been exposed to 
what Hitler did and, and uh, his uh, uh, way of orating and so on. And I just had a very bad feeling about President Obama. And I started wondering why would a, a United, uh, United States uh, political party of importance, such as the Democrat Party, put forward somebody I felt so suspicious about. And so I felt like I had to understand this. This uh, very much concerned me. So I did work on, um, oh, I have a, a master's degree in nursing. And the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, the head of the program, she wasn't uh, very uh, liberal with praise, but she told me I had written the best review of the literature for my thesis that she had ever read. And so that really impressed me. So I felt pretty good about my ability to read something and, and interpret it. Plus, I prayed a lot. And so I got a copy of the Communist, uh, Communist Manifesto, which to me was the original document, although Karl Marx and his friend uh, Friedrich or Frederick Engels came back and added some addendums to it later. But I went to the, the very first pamphlet, which was a little over 50 pages, depending on what source you get it from, and read it. And as I read it, I saw the word American three times or something like that, and the Constitution was noted, and it seemed, and as I delved into it, that this document, the Communist Manifesto, was actually the antithesis of our U.S. Constitution. It took the exact opposite point of view of everything, you know, said discard religion and law and morals, that they didn't mean anything. And it was all just oppression from the middle class, which they, he called the bourgeoisie. So in the event, I felt like this was something I was learned to be afraid of in grade school. They told us the communists might bomb us and hide under our desk uh, if uh, a bomb w went off and they they set on the fire alarm and have us hide under our desk. So I, I grew up fearing communism, but I had no real understanding of it until I went into the manifesto and actually broke it down. So I decided that I would actually run for office and uh, for Congress, and, and and I realized that it wasn't likely I was going to uh, go very far because I was calling for the impeachment of Obama and questioning uh, the Democratic Party as a whole. Well, that made you so very popular. Ever, that would that would increase your popularity, wouldn't it? No, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not really. <laughs> no, no, no. Not in 2010. And so uh, in the event, I went ahead and ran and lost, as I, I as I expected. But the Democrat that had the area, uh, the incumbent, Blue Dog Democrat, he did lose to a Republican. So ultimately, mm. I felt like I won. And then a uh, I went ahead in 2011 and started working on the book, and uh, actually, because I feel as an educator that education is our best defense, and I don't underestimate anybody's ability to learn. Everybody can learn if they put their mind to it. I believe absolutely. And uh, you, you've taken so you've taken a com you've taken a comp complex uh, complex subject, the uh, manifesto in particular, and have broken it down to a little easier to understand approach. What is it that, I guess, primarily concerns you about the undermining of the Constitution? What do you think is actually taking place that uh, we should be concerned about? Well, I am a documenter. I, as a nurse, you document your patient's uh, status at all times, and I work intensive care, emergency room, again with pediatrics. 
So that's the approach that I took for after I uh, went into the Communist Manifesto and related some historical facts and realized that I really could have included some Republican things that had happened. The Republican Party had also uh, been uh, colluding to a degree uh, in implementing the manifesto. Mm -hmm. I went ahead and just focused on President Obama and what was going on with the Democratic Party before he came into office. Uh, In other words, the running up of our deficit, that's very much in line with what uh, Karl Marx would have wanted. He he felt that uh, your uh, capital was essential. So the fastest way to bring down a capitalist nation is to ruin the capital. And uh, so I, I went through the different things that were happening and just following what I was seeing uh, through the uh, media and tried to verify from one or two different sources before I put anything in my book that what I was getting was correct. And the book went into publication the first time. I, it was self-published. I didn't really know anything about self-publishing. And so I have updated a few times since. But in 2012, January was the first time it came out. Hmm. And uh, at, since then, no one has really contradicted me. Now, nobody really has wanted to buy the book because some uh, comments were made online and Amazon pretty quick that obviously they hadn't read the book, but they, they were negative. I do believe Amazon cleared some of those away when they realized they hadn't purchased the book. But in the, in the event, it didn't sell. It hasn't had a record of selling. But... What I have done with it is give it away, and in fact, most everybody in Georgia that's uh, in politics has got a copy, whether or not they looked at it. <laughs> and in May of 2015, I actually mailed um, 500 and some copies, I think 535 total, 100 to the Senate post offices in the uh, in Washington, D.C., and the House of Representatives, everybody that is a member of the House. And uh, so they all got a copy in their mailbox, and uh, it was from me. Now, whether uh, I do know that uh, a congressman did touch base with our uh, GOP chair here in Georgia and said, told him that he'd gotten a copy of my book in his box. And I know the next week President uh, Obama uh, was laughing and saying they're calling me a communist out there. So I thought, well, probably somebody shared what they've gotten in their box <laughs> with him. But anyway. But uh, you're. That, you're- your, yeah, your book is more than just uh, an accusation uh, pamphlet or uh, a thesis. It actually gives some details of the history of Marxism, communism, and, and socialism, and uh, equates what's happening in our society with those fundamental things that were outlined over a hundred and what, hundred and fifty years ago, a hundred and yeah, almost hundred and fifty years yeah. ago, eighteen forty-eight. Yeah. So this yeah. is uh, this is a book that may be of value to anyone that's interested in history, and anyone yeah. that's interested in the U.S. Constitution and how it may be being affected by philosophies and the outlook of current people in power. Where do my listeners get a copy of Undermining the U.S. Constitution? Well, I have uh, Author House published it for me every single time since 2012 when I uh, found examples I wanted to add. Uh, they updated it for me, so it's available online through Author House uh, as well as uh, Barnes & Noble and also uh, Amazon. Uh, Litfire Publishing contacted me last year. They were interested in 
publicizing my book for the sake of uh, the election period. So I have uh, actually had a, a book put out this last edition with Lit Fire Publishing, so you can go there. It's a, it's the same, fewer pictures, but it is the same book. But they, they uh, had the idea that the title, like being advertised in the Washington Times and so on, was enough to give people pause about who they were going to vote for. Well, good. So anyway, I, I did a work with them last year. Well, thank you for sharing your story. This, again, is a uh, short read, 109 pages, but it's well-documented. It's not just an opinion piece. Uh, it has uh, simplified the understanding, or at least your understanding, of Marxism and how it's impacting our world. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Again, the author's name is Diane S. Van. Diane is with an E, D-I-A-N-E, middle initial S, last name V-A-N-N, and uh, using the short title, Undermining the U.S. Constitution, would be an easy way for them to do a search online and locate you. Do you have a website also, Diane? Yes, dianevan.com. Dianevan.com. I, I believe there's only one of them uh, at this point in time, dianevan.com. Excellent. When I ran in 2010, there was 17 dianevan.com. Really? <laughs> dot something. So, uh, but I think there's only one. Well, so, thank ex- you very much. Well, my pleasure. Great visiting with you, and best of luck. And uh, listeners, uh, this would be a good study book for you to get a better understanding of these names and these uh, references that are being tossed about in the media, Marxism, Communism, Socialism, you know, Nazism, you name it, and uh, those are being thrown about, and most people don't really have an understanding. This book will give you that understanding of uh, what really is the underlying message and what it really means, and not just a term that's being misused used in in conversation. Again, the title, Undermining the U.S. Constitution, and uh, the author, Diane S. Van. Thank you, Diane, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure for Author House and Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker.